Thank you, sir. So today is the second Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a season that begins four Sundays before Christmas. And so this year it's December 2nd, December 9th, December 16th, and December 23rd. From December 2nd all the way through uh, December 24th is the Advent season. And the word Advent we get from the word uh, Adventus in Latin, which means coming. Okay, so when you think of Advent, Advent, think something or someone is coming. Well, who is coming? Well, God is coming, right? Jesus is coming. And we do this in several different ways. Um, one of the focus of Advent, of course, is remembering the coming of Jesus into the world, uh, what we call the incarnation, where God came in the form of a little baby, right? An eight-pound, six-ounce, cute, cuddly, swaddling clothes, little baby, right? And that's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, and wonderful and worthy of celebration that our God would come into this world in such a vulnerable way. That's one of the ways that we remember the story of God coming into the world. Another way that we remember that is when John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and he is saying, hey, the Messiah is coming. He's, he's about to burst on the scene and his ministry is about to begin. I'm the guy sent before to prepare the way to wake up a little bit, slap you around, shake you up a little bit, and say, he's coming. Are you ready? Are you alert? Are you aware? You don't want to miss this. And John the Baptist says that in, this is one of those examples of how he says it. In Luke 3, 7, he says, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by, by John, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If that doesn't wake a person up, I don't know what will. Right? So John is saying, look, just because you folks are coming out, you think, well, I was born an Israelite, therefore I'm a child of Abraham. Uh-uh. That's not how it works. You have to live a life where you repent, where you turn away from your sin and toward God. That way you are ready to receive the coming of the one. So that's another way we talk about the coming is John the Baptist. And Augie gave that a lot of good press last week in his sermon on that. So this coming is a coming really from another world. God, through Jesus, created this world and then came from another world into this world. He entered into the world that we live in. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, that, all things were made through him. And without him, not anything has been made. Jesus came into our world. 
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So those are a couple of the ways that we look at how Christ comes. But today we're going to focus on a way that Christ comes into the world and into our life and into our world that is touched upon uh, by the classic Christian calendar every single year, and that is the reality that Jesus is coming again. Jesus will return again. We would do well as followers of Christ to spend more time pondering and meditating on Jesus' return to this world. Too often this doctrine is overlooked. It's either it's, it's tacked on to the end of our, our body of faith and belief, or if it's not overlooked, it's over-sensationalized in what you might call rapture theology. Either way does not really lead us to engage our world, but kind of leads us to check out. And God wants us to engage, not to check out. When I was a young boy, I remember going to the movie theater and watching a movie. And we were probably about two-thirds of the way through the movie and kind of really into the plot and, and, and into the kind of where the movie was going when all of a sudden it just went blank. Sound cut off, screen was blank, and everybody just kind of sat there and looked around. And we thought, well, the, something obviously went wrong. Are we going to get our money back uh, if they don't fix it? Do I have time to go to the bathroom? You know, those kinds of questions that you ask when the movie just gets cut off in the middle and you're just sitting there waiting on, you know, some kid to splice it back together, I guess. I don't know how that works. But anyway, so after about 10 minutes or so, it came back on and we lit up to realize it was the credits at the end rolling. We missed the end. We missed the most important part of the movie. That's how our faith is if we don't fully take into account the end story of Jesus' return to come and square everything away to make all things right. Without the end, the middle loses most of its value. Without the end, the middle and the beginning loses a lot of its meaning. And so we would do well to keep the end in mind, even if we don't fully understand how it's all going to play out, because I can't promise you what it's going to be like or when it's going to be. But I can tell you that there is the promise that Christ will come again. We said it in the Apostles' Creed, didn't we? We said he will return to judge the living and the dead. We see it in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, where the angels, after Jesus ascends into, into the sky, into the clouds, the angel says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. And then the second to the last verse in the entire Bible, Revelation twenty two twenty says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And then the response, come Lord Jesus. We are called to be a people whose lives are positioned in such a way that we say, come Lord Jesus. We are ready for you. We long for you. 
But before we get there, I think we got some work to do on understanding what that looks like and what that means. And so I don't have the amount of time to explain all of that this morning, but I do want to plant a few seeds. So what is it going to look like when Jesus returns? Does anybody know? Well, if you know, then be careful about what you think you know. Because I think it's kind of complicated, to be quite honest. There are a lot of different interpretations out there. One interpretation is what you would call a rapture theology. This is a theology that's developed pretty much in North America only in the past 150 years. And it's this theology that says God is going to come and and snatch up his chosen people and everybody else is going to be left to whatever, live with the consequences of a godless world. This is what I would call kind of an escapist type of theology. God's going to get us out of here so we can do whatever we want to to this place. Okay, that's, that's one way of viewing this God bringing in uh, and returning to the world in Jesus. But there's uh, so many other ways of understanding this that are much richer and older and, in my opinion, more biblical. And they're ways that I would call not escapist but more engaging. Not uh, a theology of rapture, but a theology of renewal. This vision at the end of Revelation where it says there is a new heaven and a new earth and there's a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and this unification of heaven and earth, a fulfillment of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what's going on. We see that God comes to embrace the earth, even if he is making it anew. The return of Christ involves Christ returning in bodily form in his presence. It also involves what we call a final resurrection. Those who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ will be raised in bodily form from the dead. I've done three funerals in the past four weeks, and for me... In my pace of doing funerals, that's a lot. And I was reminded each time that we, that I put my hand on the casket and, and we offered this body up to God in this person's life as, as, as we did that, knowing that that body was going to go down into the earth, I was reminded that, boy, these things wear out, don't they? Anybody know that? These things wear out. And one of these days they'll expire. And so we're dependent upon a God who can do something about it. Resurrection. In the same way that Jesus was raised from the dead, he was the first fruits. He will also raise those who place their belief and trust in him. This is going to be the same Jesus that came into the world the first time. It's just going to be a different kind of appearing. St. Augustine says this, He says, the first coming of Christ the Lord, God's Son and our God, was in obscurity. The second will be in the sight of the whole world. When he came in obscurity, no one recognized him but his own servants. When he comes openly, he will be known by both good people and bad. When he came in obscurity, it was to be judged. When he comes openly, it will be to judge. We live in between the first 
and the second comings. That's where we're at. We remember back, but we also anticipate looking forward. So that causes me, at least, to ask a lot of questions. Well, how does this work? And, and is this, how can we understand this to be a good thing? You know, when we hear the word that, that God's going to come back and judge, that kind of sounds negative, doesn't it? When, when, when we use that word judge in our world, don't judge me just because I'm wearing my jeans to church, right? Don't judge. It's, it's that negative vibe, isn't it? But judges are absolutely necessary to bring about justice. If you don't have anyone judging in a good way, in a right way, you have no justice in the world. And if God is going to create a new world where there is no pain, where there is no injustice, where there is no heartbreak anymore, then God is going to have to deal with sin. He's going to have to remove it. And sin will get dealt with in one of two ways. It will either be cast out and removed, or it will be forgiven. Your sin and my sin will be either forgiven, or it will be cast out with us. Because when God returns... There will be no real contest between light and darkness. As John 1, 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Ultimately, we need a judge to create this new world. And ultimately, justice requires power to stop evil. Light has to be stronger than darkness or we have no hope. Someone who works in the military probably knows this. If you had to go secure a place or protect a group of people from, from someone else. Or those who work in uh, the police know that if you're going to protect someone, you have to bring some force in at times. Or those of us who have had or do have two-year-olds know that you can use your power for good. When you take that two-year-old and you put them in their crib and you tell them to throw their own fit without doing any destruction to themselves or anyone else around them. Right? Power can be good, my friends. And the power of God is the greatest good. And that's the necessity of God coming as judge. Now you may ask, why doesn't, hasn't God just already done that? Why, why didn't he just do that the first time he came? Why would God come as, as this baby, harmless, allowing himself to be judged, and, and wait so long? C.S. Lewis addresses this in his book, Mere Christianity. It's quite a lengthy quote, but it's worth reading. He says, why is God landing in this enemy-occupied world in disguise and starting a sort of secret society to undermine the devil, coming in and landing in the life of Jesus? Why is he not landing in force and invading it? Is it that he is not strong enough? Well, Christians think he is going to land in force, but we do not know when. But we can guess why he might be delaying. 
He wants to give us the chance of joining His side freely. I do not suppose that you and I would have much thought of a Frenchman who waited until the Allies were marching into Germany and then announced that he was on our side. God will invade. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade all right. But what is the good of saying that you are on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something it never entered your head to conceive, comes crashing in? Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use in saying you choose to lie down when it becomes impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now today, this moment, is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. I don't know about you, but I shudder every time I read those words. Like, that just wakes me up. We must choose to be on God's side now. To humble ourselves, to confess our sins, to ask for forgiveness, to seek God and His kingdom that will have its way on earth as it is in heaven. And so that brings about the next question. What do we do and how do we live in anticipation of this coming? Well, first, we are hopefully moved to repent, to have a turning of a heart away from our selfishness to a God-centered way of life, a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of action in the world. In the story, A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge is a selfish miser who doesn't really care for anybody but himself and his own fortune. Scrooge is visited by three different spirits, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. His eyes are opened to the past, the present, and the potential future, and he sees his fate if he continues along in his current ways. After his own wake-up call, thinking his life is over, he wakes up to discover, number one, that he is alive, and number two, that it is Christmas Day. And the things that he feared were happening and had not happened yet. Scrooge then shows the entire city that he has a changed heart and a changed mind 
And that is reflected in his actions. In the same way, it doesn't hurt to have a similar wake-up call to Scrooge, like Scrooge did. It could scare us, but also excite us at the same time. We are called, therefore, to repent. Number two, how do we live in anticipation of this coming? How do we look forward? Well, one thing we do is that we're given hope. We're given hope that every wrong that has ever been done will be dealt with. Every person, every time we got the short end of the stick, every time that we are on the wrong end of injustice, that God is going to square all things away. Romans 12, 19, Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's a, a metaphorical way of saying you will provide an opportunity for that person to repent of their sin. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is saying, look, whatever wrong has happened to you, if you can't fix it on your own, then it's okay because nothing happens outside the scope of God. He sees everything. No stone will be left unturned. He is the surveillance camera seeing everything in all of history. You know, when you see everything in your life in the context that, that it all will end up standing before Christ, it makes a difference. It can free you from holding on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. Nothing will be left undone. And finally, how do we anticipate this coming well, it means that we are compelled to live in the world working toward thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The fulfillment of God's reign, of his justice and his restoration. When Jesus returns, he will make all things right. But he invites us to begin to work on that now. Because at this very moment, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. We said that in the creed. It makes the short list of things to believe. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father Almighty. He's ruling over all things. Whether the world realizes it or not, the world will someday realize it. But that's why we have come to worship today. We worship Jesus. We don't just come to remember a guy who died. We don't just come to remember a guy who showed up on the planet a couple thousand years ago and haven't seen him since. We come to worship a living God who is ruling over all things at the right hand of the Father right now. That's why you're here. That's worthy of our worship. And because of that, our lives can be different. Because we believe in the current presence of Christ that someday what is, what is real today will someday be shown to be real to everyone. 
we can live our lives in that kind of faith, in that kind of peace, in that kind of hope, and in that kind of joy. Oh, that we would be and allow our lives to be defined by the work of God that will be completed in and through our Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are so glad that we can remember your coming into this world. And we are glad that you come to us in word and in spirit today. But most of all, God, we are so glad that you're not going to leave your work unfinished. That you will finish what you started. That you will fulfill your promises. Lord, we don't know what that's going to look like. We have so many questions. But Lord, help us to not let that keep us from seeking you. We pray that you would open our eyes to see your kingdom. We pray that you would give us a heart of repentance. And we are so grateful that you gave your life as an offering of the forgiveness of our sins because of your love for us. Lord, every person in this room, take us all and and fold each one of us into your story. As we come forward today and take a hold of these elements, oh God, we take a hold of you and all your goodness and all your glory and all your power that we can imagine. We worship you today. Amen. This Jesus that we've talked about who will come someday to make all things right in power and glory is the same Jesus that gave his life for you and me. And allowed himself to be crucified and broken. We get to participate in that. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This Jesus that will come and make all things right. Allowed his blood to be spilled out. As a sign of our forgiveness. Let us drink this in remembrance of him and in anticipation of him as i pray over these elements with those who are serving please come forward lord pour out your holy spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine make them be for us the body and the blood of christ that you would be that we would be the body of christ redeemed by your blood Make us one with you, one with each other, one in ministry to all the world until Christ returns and we feast at your heavenly banquet. Thank you, O God, that you really are good. Align our hearts and our lives to be in your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
Just a reminder that this is not a Methodist or a member's table. This is Christ's table. And Jesus invites anybody who seeks him and wants to be in a relationship with him to come and to receive of Holy Communion today. You'll be invited to place your Connect card and offering in the brown basket and then make your way to one of these two stations. Tear off a piece of the bread yourself, dip it in the cup and eat it. It is the very presence of Jesus broken and poured out for you. If you want, you can spend some time at the prayer rails. And then there are little discs in these bowls. If you would like, you can grab one of those discs. And on that disc is the first name of another member of this church. It's just a little Advent practice that you can do. Just take one and pray for that person this week. You don't have to know who they are. Just lift them up in prayer. And then you may return to your seat to continue in song and worship. Jesus is here in this very time and place. I invite you to stand, and when you're ready, come and receive.